Do you remember your childhood bedroom? Do you remember what it looked like? Do you remember how it was furnished? Was it yours alone or did you have to share it with a sibling? I remember my childhood bedroom. Now it's becoming less popular now, but back in my day, it was a very common thing to hang a poster of someone you admired on the wall of your bedroom. Maybe you grew up wanting to be a basketball star and you had a picture of Michael Jordan on your wall. Maybe you wanted to be the next Mariah Carey, so you had a poster of her on her wall. But for me, it was Wayne Gretzky. He was everything I wanted to be. The long flowing hair, the speed of the, on the ice. He was who I wanted to be. Now, there was only one problem with that. I didn't skate and I had no interest in signing up for hockey. None. But I wanted to be Wayne Gretzky. Have you ever wanted to be someone else? I think most people do from time to time. Usually they look around the world to see someone they admire. They set their hearts on becoming that person. And often their hope is that once they've become like that person, they will finally be someone themselves and have a future that would be bright. Even those who do not have the self-discipline and drive to go after their dreams like I was when it came to hockey, they spend their time wishing and dreaming for a perfect future. In this world we are in, it seems that we're always striving for that perfect future with only our own effort and skills leading the way. And the problem with that formula is that there's no margin for error. Perfection is a prerequisite. And it leads to either achieving goals and being left with pride or worse, emptiness upon finding that your goal was not worth striving for. Now the proverb we're looking at today gives us wisdom on this topic of how we should address the issue of our future. We're calling this series Ancient Tweets, and we're equating the knowledge-heavy short verses of this book of the Bible to tweets, which try and make their statements in 140 characters or less. And we have said that these proverbs are not promises, but probabilities. We say that if you do these things, then you will accomplish this end most of the time. Here is today's proverb, Proverbs 16, verse 9. In their heart, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. We see here two plans, our plans and the Lord's plans. There's a dichotomy or contrast at play here, and Proverbs is full of the highlights of this dichotomy. We began our series back in June talking about Proverbs 1-7, which tells us the difference between true wisdom and foolish wisdom. At the beginning of Proverbs 15, it tells us the difference between a gentle answer and a harsh word. Proverbs 17.22 tells us the difference between a joyful heart and a crushed spirit. And just a few weeks ago, we heard from Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, which tells us about leaning on our understanding versus leaning on God's understanding. Like many of you, I'm sure, I'm, I'm a frequent commuter into Vancouver, and I just love it when I get to this certain spot on Grandview Highway, and I'm going towards Broadway Church in Vancouver, and all of the lights ahead of me are green. It just makes my trip go so much smoother if every time I hit a traffic light, it's already green. Now, just like I love it when I'm driving and every light in front of me is green, a preacher loves it when he looks at a scripture and it breaks down into three specific sections. You look at this scripture and you say, man, this scripture pretty much preaches itself. So let's look at the three sections of this scripture, the key parts of Proverbs 16, verse 9. The first part, in their heart. You know, in many places when the heart is mentioned in scripture, it's not looked upon Kindly. Jeremiah says that the heart is deceitful above all things who, and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Mark chapter 7 says, For it's from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice. I got some more. Deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. That's not good. You know, the old adage, just follow your heart, may work for a Disney movie, but it's not great advice for following Christ. 
Now, earlier in Proverbs, we hear these wise words, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. The teaching in Proverbs says everything in our life flows from our heart. Our hopes, our dreams, our fears, our anxieties, our anger, our forgiveness, our humility, our peace, our greed, our generosity, our love. Yes, everything. Who we are is what is in our heart. So above all else, our heart needs a guard and God is our guard. When the Holy Spirit fills our heart by faith, he flushes out sin and leaves room only for the fruit of the Spirit. Only a heart guarded by God can withstand the influence of ungodliness. A heart submitted to Christ in prayer is protected by Christ with peace. Heart is used in the scripture as the most comprehensive term for the authentic person. It's the part of our being where we desire, we deliberate, and we decide. It has been described as the place of conscious and decisive spiritual activity. The comprehensive term for a person as a whole, his feelings, desires, passions, thoughts, understanding, and will. And as we said in other sermons in this series, the heart is the center of a person, the place to which God turns. Think of it in these terms. When you want to know how your finances are doing, you generally look at your bank account. When you want to know maybe how your car is doing, you might lift up the hood and look under the hood. But when God wants to know how you're doing, he's primarily looking at your heart. See, you can have a right heart or you can have a hard heart. Having a right heart or a hard heart is like the difference between a vulture and a hummingbird. Both are birds, but a vulture lives on dead things that rot and stink and and lived in the past. Vultures are actually looking for dead things. Hummingbirds are nourished by flowers and plants, beautiful things that are very much alive. Hummingbirds are looking for life. And similarly, if you, if your heart is right, you are more concerned about looking for life and being nourished by things that are alive. Now, are you like me and sometimes you say certain phrases or sentences so many times in the course of a day or a week that it seems to lose its meaning? One of those phrases for me is the phrase, how are you or how are you doing? Think about it. How many times a day do you say that phrase? You say it to people you love and you say it to people you don't even know. You say it with your mouth in speech and you say it when, with your fingers when you type an email. It would be no understatement to say that hum, as humans, we use that phrase dozens of times a day. Did you know in many Middle Eastern cultures, when you want to ask someone how they're doing, you ask a statement that is actually translated, how's your heart? And even more than that, it means, how is your heart doing at this very moment, at this very breath? So when I ask, how are you? I think that's what I really want to know. So today, as one of your pastors, can I ask you this question? How's your heart? I'm not asking how many things are on your to-do list or how many items are in your inbox. I want to know how your heart is doing at this very moment. Is your heart full of joy or is it aching? Is it sad? Does it crave human touch? Examine your heart today and come up with an accurate answer to that question, how's your heart? And when you have that answer, turn to the person next to you, sitting on the couch next to you watching this, and tell them how your heart is doing. See, you are a human being, not a human doing. You are more than just a machine checking off items from your to-do list. If your heart is not right, your plans will never be right. If your heart is not right, your steps will never be established by God. Now, if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, maybe this question of how is your heart brings up some weird questions in you. Maybe you're feeling a stirring in your heart. At the end of our time today, I'm going to give you a chance to make a decision that could change the course of your life forever. A decision to follow the teachings of Jesus, who by his own admission came to live in the hearts of men 
and not in a castle or sit on a throne as an earthly king. He came to forgive your sin, my sin. So get ready for when I give you that opportunity at the end of this message. Now, at the end of this time about talking about the heart, let's read that verse in Proverbs 4 one more time. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Guard your heart. Everything flows from it. The second section of this proverb in chapter 16, verse 9 says, Humans plan their course. Now, if you're like me, the biggest frustration I have when I go through the trouble of planning something out is when I get interrupted. How many times a day do you get interrupted? Think about it. How many times a day are you planning to to do something or go somewhere or send an email or make a phone call and something else gets in the way? A red light, a flat tire, an urgent call. Interruptions at work are, are part of our work life. Researchers at the University of California in Irvine recently found during a research project that the typical office worker is interrupted or switches tasks on average every three minutes. And it can take up to 23 minutes just to get back to where they left off when they go back. Getting interrupted during your plans can be the most frustrating thing. Now, I don't think this proverb is telling us that planning is bad. I believe there is an important place for planning. I remember Brandon Deepwell, who was a former video director here at Broadway. He tells the story of always knowing that he was going to be working in video production because from a very young age, he would borrow his parents' handy cam recorder. Remember those? And he would make movies with his friends. That desire that he believed God put in his heart spurred on a decision he made and a plan he undertook to get the schooling he needed to work in video production. And now, not only is he doing it, he's honoring God with it. The desire God put in his heart manifested in a plan and God was honored in it. I remember my last day of school in grade seven, walking to school with my four-year-old brother. I took him along to help me clean up my locker. I remember getting to a street corner and holding his hand so he would be safe when we crossed the street. I remember as I was cleaning up my locker, losing sight of him for just a moment and then getting that immediate feeling of dread, but then realizing he was just around the corner talking to my homeroom teacher. I remember walking home with my brother in tow that day and having in my heart the distinct impression that I wanted to be a parent when I got older. Now that dream God put in my heart was something I held on to when Wanda and I were unable to have children. That dream was front and center in my heart that day Wanda and I took the sea bus to North Vancouver and knocked on the door of the adoption agency we used. It was that desire that helped us plan to go through the arduous and expensive process of adoption, not once, but twice. See, plans are not bad, but listen to what James says in chapter 4, verses 13 to 15. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. See, the kind of planning that is not good is the arrogant kind that desires its own way, and has expectations of how things are going to go. Much of the disappointment you and I experience in life is as a result of unmet expectations. And when we feel like it's God that hasn't met our expectation, man, we can be in for trouble. Now let's conclude with the final section of this proverb. But the Lord establishes their steps. However carefully we consider our plans, we have a very limited view of the future. We do not know what will happen in the coming weeks and months. Indeed, we don't have any control over our tomorrows. Many of us had very big plans that got delayed or outright destroyed by the pandemic we all went through. How could any of us have planned for that? 
Matthew 6, 33 gives us some perspective and focus in this area when it says, but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Our times are in God's hands and because God can see the end from the beginning, we should be ready to submit every plan we make to him in prayer and place each desire of our heart into his safekeeping. God not only knows the future, but holds the future in his hands. How wise is it then to to use our rational thought and God-given free will to plan wisely to the best of our ability while recognizing that while God may permit our plan to move forward, he may also overrule it or advance it even further. It's a comfort to know, though, that while we have the freedom to make our plans, the Lord will direct our feet into the way that is best for us. We are not independent or exclusive in our dreaming. God reserves the right to interrupt our plans for for a greater good of his will being accomplished. Now, before we get to our big idea today, I want to tell you one last story. I'm the father of two beautiful girls, and when they were young, something would happen almost every night. I would tell them, okay, girls, it's time to go to bed. Head upstairs and get your jammies on and your teeth brushed. They would jump off the couch and head to the bottom of the stairs, but if the light switch was turned off and the stairwell was dark, they would not go upstairs to their bedroom. But if I would come and hold the hands of my daughters, they would have the courage to go up the stairs. Why? Because they trusted me. They trusted I had good plans for them. They trusted that I would not lead them into danger. Our willingness to submit our plans to God is ultimately a reflection of the level of trust we have in God. And this leads us to our big idea today. And I'm going to break out a couple of props to help illustrate this big idea. Because we trust in God, we should write our plans in pencil and not in pen. I know there's a piece of clothing that, that I've gotten ink on before and I've not been able to get it off. I know when I buy a book and I want to keep it forever, quite often the first thing I'll do is write my name on the inside of the front cover in pen so that everyone who picks it up will know that book belongs to me. Now, other times I've written words on a page with a pen and I wish I could have erased them. I wish I could get them back. A pencil, on the other hand, doesn't use ink, but it uses lead and lead sticks to the paper, but with the same force can be erased and lifted off with the force of an eraser. Maybe there are plans in your life that you've written in ink and you're living with the consequences of those plans. It's not too late for God to give you a clean sheet to work his work through the process of you receiving his forgiveness, which is freely offered. It's great to make our plans. And I believe today we've affirmed the idea that making plans is a good thing. Not wishes or fantasies like me in my bedroom staring at my wing Gretzky poster, but plans based on your heart being full of God. But what we're saying in the end is that we willingly submit those plans to the Lord because of our great trust in him and we allow him to change them. We allow him to erase, alter, improve, empower, expand, or redirect our plans because we trust him and we trust his plans above our own. And if you've never put your trust in God before, I'm going to give you a chance to do that very thing right now. So if you're in that position today and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, you've never made a decision to trust him and to trust his teachings, I'm going to lead you in prayer right now and pray for you. And you can repeat this prayer after me. It's not important that the person next to you hears it. It's important that that God hears it and and knows that, that you're serious about it. So just repeat this after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I feel far from you. I feel the weight of my sin in my heart. I want to be close to you. And so I ask that you would forgive me of my sin. 
because I know only you can forgive sin. I ask you would give me the courage and wisdom to live a life that pleases you and help me tell someone about the decision I've made. In Jesus' name. And today, as you're hearing this sermon, some of you are dealing with the anxiety of having written the plans of your life in pen. You're feeling the tension of having having stuck so hard and so firm and fast through those plans that you haven't let the Lord establish your steps. It's not too late to submit your plans to the Lord. God doesn't want you to not plan. He doesn't want you to walk around aimlessly hoping for some bolt of lightning or something to to strike. He wants you you to plan, but he he wants to be in those plans. He wants to be in your heart so that your plans are, 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 are from him and then your steps can be established by him. So today, God, for those that are feeling that tension and are desiring to to establish their steps in you, they're feeling the separation, they're feeling the, the, uh, the disconnection. God, I pray that you would help us as we submit our plans to you. Thank you for the wisdom you give us. Thank you for the skills you give us, the relationships you put into our life that help us make these plans. Thank you for the interests and skills and and curiosity you've put in our heart that helps us develop these things that we believe you've put in our heart and so we make those plans based on that. But we submit them to you still, God, so that you can make something beautiful out of them, God. Our skills, our abilities at their best, Your scripture says it. It's not much when we bring it to you, God. We still need your Holy Spirit to to come and to empower all of this and for our steps to be established from you. That's what we desire. So we pray to that end today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us here at Broadway Church today.